0: Welcome to Leader a Readycast. Our topic today is leading in a turbulent world, and my guest is April Rinnie. April has been a futurist, advisor, microfinance lawyer, global development executive, and much more. She's worked with organizations from Airbnb to the World Bank, as well as governments around the world. And through it all, she's become expert at navigating change, and that's what I'm going to talk to her about today. April's new book just out is Flux, Eight Superpowers for Thriving in Constant Change. Now I had the chance to read an early copy, and I can report it's a really insightful volume. I really greatly enjoyed getting the chance to read it because she has a fresh take on the challenges of leading through the uncertainty and ambiguity that crisis leaders so often face. April, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you so much, Eric. I'm delighted to be here.
0: It's really great to have you. Let's start with the basics. What is the flux mindset and why is it important now?
1: Yeah. So let's dive right in indeed. Well, before we get to a flux mindset, I always like to tease out just the word flux because it's one of those words that I think a lot of people they've heard, they're kind of intrigued by. It's fun to say, but a lot of people don't realize that flux is both a noun and a verb. So as a noun, it means continuous change. I think that's how we're all often used to hearing about it. But flux is also a verb and to flux means to learn to become fluid. So I like that because today the world is in flux and we all need to learn how to flux. And the flux mindset is very much related to the verb. How do we learn to become fluid? How do we develop the the mindset, the state of mind that is not only okay dealing with change, but actively embraces all change? And here I mean good and bad, expected change and unexpected change, Um, you know, the change that you welcome and can't wait to, to have as part of your life, as well as the change that blindsides you on a Tuesday afternoon and disrupts your plans. How do we learn to consistently see change, all change, as an opportunity, not a threat, and to harness its silver linings. So this is really about how do we reshape our relationship to change from the inside out? Because moving forward, The world is not more certain. The world is not more stable. The world is more uncertain, more unstable, more flux. And we all need to kind of buckle up and and get ready for a pretty wild ride ahead. But what I like is this is a very uplifting message because when you figure out how to groove and open a flux mindset, all of a sudden you just start to see not just change, but your place in the world and what's possible differently.
0: Well, that's great to hear and I, I really like the the opportunity that is embedded in this message because it can be tough i know for so many of our leaders who are facing record fires record floods mm-hmm. building collapses ships getting stuck in the suez canal i mean it seems like any, everything you thought you couldn't mm-hmm. ever think would happening happens and so you know i know in the book you talk about eight superpowers could you pick one of two of i, I don't like I can't ask you to pick your favorite children, as it were, but <laughs> pick one or two that you think are most relevant for those who are leading in disaster preparedness or response and tell us about them and how they can be useful.
1: Sure. Well, and, and let me pause just for a brief moment here because mm-hmm. to speak you know, directly to listeners and also a little bit about like, how did I end up working in this space? And it's interesting because as a futurist and then as a not just a global citizen, but with an entirely international career. And then also as a human being who has suffered or, you know, experienced more, I think my fair share, I won't say more than my fair share, but my fair share of, um, of change, really turbulent change that I've been looking and researching and sort of peeling back the layers of this onion for 25 plus years on how we relate to change. And one thing I have learned is that every single person every single organization and every single culture or society in the world struggles with change and not necessarily in the same way but no one has actually figured it out and this is one of our i think greatest challenges as humanity but also one of the greatest things that binds us together in that there is so much we can learn from one another i mean throughout history cultures have developed ways of seeing change talking about change um developing everything from symbols and rituals and traditions about change to le- learning how to lean into it in different ways and so one of the things i'm really interested in doing is kind of forging this connective tissue and helping us learn from one another because we're all in this together in that regard in terms of like a future of more change more flux so the eight flux superpowers are run slower see what's invisible get lost Start with trust. Know you're enough. Create your portfolio career. Be all the more human, and let go of the future. Now, if I think about a couple that are um, relevant, particularly relevant for um, for your audience, I'm not going to go sequentially, but the one that always jumps out at me first is. Um, The fourth superpower, start with trust. And this really points to not only the fact that we're in a global trust crisis, et cetera, but if we start digging deeper, we discover that so many of our systems and structures and processes and institutions have been designed from a basic premise of mistrust of the average individual. So on balance, if I don't know anything about you, I should not trust you and you should not trust me. And that's really interesting when you think about it, that we've normalized that because what have we just done in the process? We've snipped the human relationships that tend to bring people together. And where I'm coming from in terms of a landscape of change is that think about how you navigate change best. When change really hits, who do you turn to? You turn to your trusted relationships. And if you don't have a lot of those, you're in a much bigger world of hurt. And so, and I'm going to keep this quite broad. We can dig in deeper if you want. I'm looking at this of what happens when you start with trust. And here, I'm not saying blind trust or naive trust, and I'm not saying there aren't bad apples in the bunch, but I'm saying when we design with a system that assumes a bad apple is the norm, we design a very different system than if we design one with the basic premise that humans are fundamentally good they want to actually help one another through tra- through change through crisis through catastrophe and there are bad apples but we treat them as the exception not the rule so that's one i think we could dig really deep into that one but um, that is that is one that comes to mind and let me share one other one and that is, and it's fun because you know it depends. It does depend on the day or the week of which one's my favorite, but um, one that's been coming up a lot, and I think it does relate to, to crisis and catastrophe. It's this it's the second superpower, which is what I call see what's invisible, and this says that when the future feels blurry or uncertain to focus not necessarily on what's visible and straight in front of you, but focus on what's invisible and what's on the periphery and what you might be missing or often blinded to. Um, And that is sometimes by choice and sometimes simply because all of us have been taught to see certain things and to not see other things. And we can think about that on, on many different levels. But one thing that I find again and again is that, for example, entrepreneurs that are that, that come up with disruptive business models, they're able to see something that traditional entrepreneurs are not. They're able to see invisible value. They're able to see invisible connections, relationships that, you know, for example, we don't put them in dollars and cents, so we simply don't think they matter, but they actually end up driving society. And I think when crisis hits, on the one hand, sometimes what happens is things that were previously invisible all of a sudden become visible and you're like wow we were not paying attention we did not really focus on what really matters but it also allows you that opening to start doing things differently moving forward so those are two of the superpowers that sort of top of mind um, come to bear
0: and and i'm really glad you picked those two and i want to dive into them for just a couple of minutes uh, with trust you know, I think having deployed to, to several disasters myself to, to see what, what happens and what goes on, it's amazing to me when someone, it's, it's the worst day of their life, they've just been displaced by a fire or they just lost mm-hmm. a loved one. Mm-hmm. How many, how long is the line we make them stand in to talk to a human being? And then how many forms do we make them fill out before we say, we mm-hmm. quote unquote, help them? And, and that's what comes to mind with me when you talk about a system designed for mistrust yeah. Of, of what, what's, how many roadblocks do we make somebody crawl over when they've already gone through hell, as it were, um, yeah. until we can connect with them human to human to human. Um, and so, you know, I, I ask our listeners to think about, you know, what would it look like differently if you did, as April suggests, to start with trust? If we started to say, we, we trust everybody who walks in the door as a, a, a good, responsible person, we're just trying to help. How would our system look different? Sorry, April, I didn't mean to cut you off.
1: Oh no, and I didn't mean to interrupt. I, <laughs> I just get so excited, um, but you really, you hit the nose uh, or the nail on the head with this one. And also the one that comes to mind, probably not surprisingly is superpower seven, which is be all the more human. Yeah. But I think what you bring up here is this sense of our shared humanity and this sense of in a crisis, the first thing we can do is just be there. And just in a way, witness, and stand with the people who are suffering greatly and not treat them like widgets or numbers on a form, but to just see them. And again, this too, seeing what's invisible, seeing people first as humans, not as consumers, which is a whole other conversation, but seeing humans in all of their fullness. And the piece about trust is just fascinating because you're right. I mean, I get at some, to some degree, you know, when there are mass catastrophes, obviously you're dealing with issues of scale and you, what do you do? You, you kind of, you need lines, you need organization, that sort of thing, but nothing in that prevents you from A, seeing someone as fully human and just bearing witness to what they're going through and having compassion and empathy and that sort of thing. But be also assuming, and true, you're not going to get everybody. There, there will be, again, bad apples here and there, but treat those as the exception. And if you can actually assume that someone who's showing up, they're not there because they want to be, they're there because they're in crisis. And when that happens and you can trust that they know that, that what, what, what crisis they're in, they know that they need help. Right there, not only does the dynamic of the relationship change, the experience, even though it's difficult, becomes a little bit brighter, a little bit lighter. And also what you're doing is you're signaling to that person an element of agency, an element of collaboration, and an element of we're going to get through this together. Because I think one thing that, and I say this also from my years in global development, just the whole dynamic around i'm going to help you and the power structure that sets in place i think what we're really start what we're really striving to do is to be seen as peers and equals and and humans in this together and when you start from trust you also very much begin to build that kind of dynamic which i think at the end of the day you know that that takes you farther than any amount of necessarily you know funding or um, partners on the ground I mean it's it's very much one-to-one grassroots bottom up
0: and it relates very much to what you talked about in terms of seeing the invisible mm-hmm. in that someone is not just sort of a consumer of the system or uh, consumer of benefits but you know we when people go into a, a let's say a neighborhood that's been hit by a by a devastating storm we quickly see the, the structures that have been knocked down we see the roadways that have been torn up. Uh, we don't see the informal networks that really created the neighborhood. We don't always see the culture uh, that made that place very specific and individual. And, and it seems to me, the more we can see that, the more you actually can, can tap into that to get people to be able to help themselves, to come together, uh, to work with you, as opposed to be, being a burden on that system. And as you say, the power dynamic is very different from let's work together to figure this out. Then I'm here to help you because you're the poor victim of this.
1: Oh, Eric, I love this. And so it is. And and I'm not, you know, I don't mean to discount that sometimes when a catastrophe hits, there are there are victims. You know, right. there are people that were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. This was just bad all the way around. But when we get into the victim or another term that I found really just candidly challenging in the world particularly of development and philanthropy, but this whole notion of a beneficiary that, you know, you're going to somehow benefit from something that I give you. It's a weird dynamic that doesn't empower the person that you're actually trying to serve. So I love this. Another piece I just want to tease out here around see what's invisible is that when you talk about the infrastructure that we see, what we do see um, a lot of what you're describing. And again, this isn't about you, Eric. This is like any, I've found myself in this situation countless times. We're looking at things that we can put dollars and cents around things we can buy. So how much is that you know, phone line going to cost? How much is that road going to cost to repair or a house? And I don't, again, I'm not discounting physical structures, but we do focus on also you know, what's in the marketplace. How much will it cost to, to um, support someone's business, et cetera, et cetera. What we don't focus on, what you just described, the relationships, the social fabric, the trust, the goodwill, the neighborhood spirit, all of those things, the time of people to help one another, those things aren't typically monetized. And so we've learned, we've normalized, we've, we've put in place systems that, doesn't, that that don't, quote unquote, see that value. And yet when change hits, when crisis hits, that's some of the most, those are the most valuable resources or assets that we have. And yet we often don't see them because we've, we can't monetize them. And and so I just like to sort of tease that out with people or at least put it on the table to to noodle on, because it often makes us a little uncomfortable to recognize just how much we've gotten twisted up in the economics of what's going on, which, again, they matter. But let's pay attention to the stuff that we can't put in dollars and cents, but that actually ends up carrying the day.
0: Absolutely. And I do want to give credit to those who actually are who are getting this. Uh, My friends at FEMA and particularly under uh, Craig Fugate and Rich Serino uh, began to turn things into what they called whole of community response and trying to tap Mm -hmm. into that full full community Mm response. And also Mm -hmm. started referring to only those who had perished as victims. Everyone else was a survivor. Mm -hmm. And it goes to the point you mentioned about agency. Mm -hmm. Survivors Mm -hmm. have agency. Victims do not. Yeah. um and so that's you know and you've done a great job in the book of teasing this out that language is so important because language informs how we think uh mm-hmm. and how we think informs our language obviously mm-hmm. uh, but the way you frame a situation and the people in it makes an enormous difference yeah, yeah. now this leads us to um you know in the book you talk about old scripts and new scripts, and sort of old scripts being the way we used to think about things, the way we we have done them traditionally, and new scripts better suited for the the world of flux or the world in flux. So I want to give you uh, a few old leadership scripts and have you reinterpret them for the world of flux. I call it the script game. You ready? Want to play?
1: I am ready. Sounds like fun.
0: Good. That's good. It's almost as much fun as Jeopardy. (laughs) Okay, script number one. Leaders are the ones with the answers.
1: Mm. I'm going to say leaders are the ones with clarity and the ability to communicate what needs to happen. Okay. So it's not, and I bring that, it's not certainty. And, and also in a world in flux, very few, I would, I would argue no one actually has all the answers. We have to figure them out together. So it's this shift from certainty and give me the answers and tell me exactly what to do to a clarity of vision, a clarity of um, outcome, a clarity of also who's around the table and who can figure this out together.
0: Okay, that's great. Okay, script number two, leading means being in charge.
1: Oh, (laughs) Uh, leading means identifying the best leadership potential in others. So do you want me to riff on that a little bit? I would love you Um, to riff on that. Yeah. So um, I think the old script and when I say scripts and the way I tease them out in the book, I think about our scripts as the norms and narratives and stories by which we lead our lives and these narratives and stories and scripts they describe the world that we expect to live in and so if you do x y should happen so to speak and i feel and not just i I think there's a huge shift that's underway that a lot of the scripts that we're living with and filtering our decisions through are outdated they're they're certainly not fit for a world in flux and there are a lot of people kind of waking up and going wait a minute all that I've been taught, like, it's not really mapping or matching with the world that I'm living in. And so I share that just as a little bit of context, because also, you know, you have a script, Eric, I have a script, everyone listening has a script. No two people's scripts are exactly the same, because no two people's life experiences are the same. But for the most part, whatever your script is, it tends to be pretty clear. (laughs) And so back to this leadership question, for a lot of people, I think traditionally we've been taught that leaders are at the top. Leaders are the biggest person in the room. They're the most important. They're the most person with the most money or the most power or whatever. And But there's a there's a very linear sense of like you're at the top. And a world in flux kind of blows that apart (laughs) and you you're we're living much more in a networked world in which everyone is potentially a leader but the most valuable person in a network isn't the biggest one it isn't the person at the top isn't the person at the center the most valuable person in a network is the most connected one and i think that's the that that's the mindset shift that we're looking at so if you're able to identify who around you are the best leaders or of whatever issue, topic, whatever, you want to be connected to them. You want to be able to harness that collective leadership potential. That's what makes a good leader in a world in flux.
0: So our listeners who are familiar with our meta-leadership framework will know why connectivity is the third dimension and being able to to see that network, understand it and being able to link and leverage across it is, is so important because you're right. In the network world, it's the most connected that can can get the most done and has the most yeah. the most influence and power.
1: And, and if I can tease out just really briefly, the traditional way of kind of linear, we are at the top, there's one leader, it's more of a command and control situation. In a world in flux that presents a lot of risk, not just key person risk, but you've put all of your eggs in fewer baskets. And when change hits, you don't necessarily know where it's gonna hit or how it's gonna hit. And you need more of, it's funny, I haven't used this term before, and I hesitate a little bit, but it's kind of more of a dispersed leadership, but you need a, you need a connected network leadership structure. Now, in fairness, this does, I think, and maybe I'm going a bit too far here, but it definitely challenges what we also think about ego. And, you know, I'm the leader, so-and-so is the leader, and then you get that bigger sense of yourself. This is much more of a service-oriented, collective, and collaborative sense of leadership, and it is leading with as opposed to leading over.
0: And that's a great distinction to make. And I think that also in my experience, I've seen a great deal of dispersed dispersed leading doesn't necessarily invalidate a chain of command. Chains of command can be valuable in certain situations.
1: Exactly.
0: Uh, As you mentioned earlier, it doesn't mean throwing out what we did before. It means building on it and Mm -hmm. having more options. So my third script I want to give you is you talked about linear thinking, and it's one of my favorite to bash. I don't want to bias you, but (laughs) it's the old saying of plan the work, work the plan, and the plan will work.
1: Oh my goodness. (laughs) So in the spirit of trying to not bash things, but uh, no, I'm always reminded of, you know, I think Winston Churchill said it and probably a few others, but this whole notion of plans are um, irrelevant, but planning is essential. So a world in flux teaches you a thousand times over that we control very, very little, <laughs> um, and I don't want that to sound like we're supposed to just fail and throw in the re- the white flag, and you know we're doomed. Not at all, not at all. But what I continue to find is a world in flux, and a flux mindset requires that you rethink and reset your relationship to control. And this factors there's a kind of control and planning, but you know, back to what I was saying earlier. Um, do you think that, do you believe that you can control your future and then struggle when things don't go to plan? That's not strategy. That's mindset. Do you approach change from a place of hope or fear? That's not strategy. That's mindset. And yet we are so focused on the strategy or the planning or the what's going to happen in the external world. We don't necessarily do that inner work to figure out what is my relationship to change, because what you just described—I mean, I think on its on the surface, um, the ability to plans and plans will go to plan. Like, like just look at the last year. I think we've we've kind of debunked that thesis pretty well. Um, moving forward, I think—and I granted, I, I hope it's not a pandemic again anytime soon—or that's not what I intend to be saying here. But I think the last year has been a kind of warm up. For the kinds of seismic change and flux that we're going to be experiencing ahead climate being one automation being another but you know i mean there's plenty at the at the macro level we can talk about as being in flux and so it does kind of force you to take a step back and go wait a minute i can control very little here and it sounds a little bit trite to say You can't control what happens. You can only control how you react to it. I get that many of your listeners, they're like, no, I I need to figure out what to do. It's not just how I respond. But I think one of the interesting ways that I like to think about planning, especially as a futurist, is this whole notion of, we cannot, no person on the planet can control the future that plays out. But what we can do is prepare for many different possible futures. And so that gets us into the realm of scenario mapping, scenario planning, that sort of thing. But you know, coming back to your original question, I would say that we need to we need shift from trying to predict the future or assuming that plans will go to plan, and rather the shift being from predicting or controlling to preparing for many different possible futures, many different possible scenarios that could play out.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I love what you said there about, about control and to the limits of control. And one of the ways, you know, I've talked about it with people in the audience and, and elsewhere in our classrooms is thinking about order rather than control as your goal. Mm-hmm. And there are times when control actually adds to order, but there are times when it subtracts from order. And I know you've studied complex adaptive systems as have I. And one of the things you learn when you do that is that uh, often trying to assert control actually creates more disorder rather than order because the system's trying to go where it wants to go. And so it is a matter of, of, of sensing when does control help things and when does letting go help things? Yes. Um,
1: and if I can chime you've you've nailed it. And that actually relates to another of the eight flex superpowers, the one about letting go, which is the last one. Um, but I do, I want to come back because what I'm finding, and again, I've been on this quest for nearly three decades, which feels kind of crazy, but this notion, there are certain things that you kind of pick up with, pick up on, but you have to let a certain amount of time pass before you're like, no, 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 this is really pervasive. (laughs) I'm seeing it everywhere. And this notion that we have as humans, that we can control our environment. And, and it is true. We are the first species known that could actually destroy our very environment that, that we could, you know, we could, we could destroy the world that we live in hopefully that doesn't happen. But alongside this, with the progress of technology and technological innovation and devices and tablets, you know, we have all of these trappings, so to speak. One thing that I have found really interesting is that the more devices we have and carry around and the more that we rely on technology, and here, I'm not saying technology is bad. Technology, well, technology depends on the intention of the user (laughs) and the intention (laughs) of the creator. So it can be good. It can be bad. It can be lots of things, but here I want to call out, I'm not saying that I'm not anti-technology at all, but what I am saying when it comes to change, I find that the more devices people have, the more apps, the more time they spend in and around technology, the more they have this kind of delusion illusion that we can control our destiny, the world, whatever it may be, thanks to technology. But then when change hits, those are the people who actually struggle the most because we realize that actually what we're after is not control. It's actually an illusion of control. And so if we can take that step back and say, whoa, okay, what is it that I'm actually capable of here and how might I need to shift, again, my mindset? To be able to make decisions and figure out what to do and strive and, you know, be able to make things happen, but with a very different dynamic and belief set about control, that that's really, really healthy. And actually, we're going to be needing a lot more of that moving forward.
0: And I, I loved in the book that you said, you know, delete an app today. And I think that that's Mm -hmm. great to begin freeing ourselves a bit from Uh, from this because you're right what we get sold over and over again is the illusion of control um and it's good to see it's good to be able to see the landscape and to have a sense of what's happening but again to think that you control all of this as as much as we are led to believe it's a delusion
1: absolutely and again though i want to be really clear i'm not this is not saying giving up. This is not saying you're failing because you can't, not at all. This is more of a statement of like objective reality. But then what happens, and this goes back to what you were saying about complex and emergent systems and this shows up more in, in chapter eight about letting go and what I call letting go of the future, which a lot of times people are like, wait a minute, you're a futurist and you're <laughs> saying I should let go of the future. Like, that's crazy. And I'm saying, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not saying give up at all. It's the antithesis of that. And one of the things I love about flux that I, I gather you grasped as well is that, you know, one of the things, the a hallmark of a flux mindset is to be able to hold paradox, Right. And and that a lot of my recommendations are kind of counterintuitive because we're so stuck in the old script. But if you actually start thinking about a world in flux, they start making a lot more sense. So this whole notion of letting go, I'm saying we need to let go of our belief we can control the future in order to let an even better future emerge, that we are so Pardon my speech, hellbent on controlling a particular kind of outcome that we're actually sucking all of the oxygen out of some potentially even better scenarios that could happen that we, you know, we have our own set of hangups about why they may or may not work, but what ends up happening to your point earlier is that we create problems, um, or at least, you know, we might solve some of them, but at the same time, we're creating others. And so the ability to let go, it's one of the hardest things I think humans have, humans seek to do. But the irony is that when you can learn to let go of what you can't control, it's actually really empowering. It's actually really freeing, and you start to breathe oxygen and give space to those things that had actually, again, been stifled before those things, again, that that had been invisible, then they start to become visible.
0: And that's a great uplifting note on which to conclude our conversation. I will remind all of our listeners that the one thing you can control is you can run right out today and buy a copy of Flux, Eight Superpowers for Thriving in Constant Change. It's, it's well worth the read. April Rini, thank you so much for joining us on Leader Readycast. I greatly enjoyed the conversation. Keep us posted on, what, on your journey and what happens. Listeners, make sure you go out and get a copy of that book today. And when your moment arrives, use your superpowers for good. Much. Thank you for listening to Leader Readycast, the official podcast of the National Preparedness Leadership Edition, a joint program of the Harvard PhD of Public Health and the Harvard John F. Kennedy School of Center for Public Leadership. You can find more about our work as well as our online classes and other programs at our website, npli.sph.harvard.edu. You can follow us on Twitter at Harvard NPLI. You can find short videos and our content on like YouTube. Search for at Harvard NPLI. And you can follow us on LinkedIn. Look for our company page, National Preparedness Leadership Initiative, is open frequently. Again, thank you for listening. Please pass this podcast along. We look forward to being with you again soon.